It's a pleasure to be back here again. FDR famously said, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. He was mechaven to a das kenim in Parshat Vayishtach. On the Pesach, Vayira Yaakov Moed Vayetzaloi. Yaak was afraid and distressed, says the das kenim. He was upset that he was afraid. And I would like to extend this to another area in life. There's nothing to worry about more than worry itself. If you look through Shulchan Aruch, there's no chiyuvim to be worried. You won't find the word worry at all. No word daiger. There's one place you'll find it. There's only one place in the whole Shulchan Aruch you've got the word daiger. And that is when you cut your nails. Shulchan Aruch writes a seder, you have to cut your nails. It's base, dalad, aleph, gimel, hey, bedaiger. That's the only place you'll find daiger in Shulchan Aruch. What is the point of worrying? It's not going to change anything at all. Although a friend of mine once told me, don't tell me worrying doesn't help. Everything I worry about never happens. The Pasuk says in Pasha's Chukas, Al-Kain, Yoimru HaMoishlim, Boyu Cheshben. The Moishlim say, come to the city of Cheshben. The Gmarim Bava Basra explains, Boyu come and make Cheshboi a calculation of this world, the schar of doing mitzvahs, the hefzid, the loss of doing averis. And this Gemara, this chazal, is very difficult to understand. The Postic is talking about a city called Cheshben. That's the name of the city. What on earth has that got to do with doing mitzvahs and calculations of mitzvahs and averis? Rebellion Lapkin explains the Gemara. He says, we have to analyze what was happening back then. There was this beautiful city of Cheshben. The Rebbeinishlan wanted, Kladiosol should capture it. But there was a problem. Because this city of Cheshben was owned by Moyev. And Kladiosol were not allowed to fight against Moyev. So HaKadosh Baruch was sent Sichoin Melech HaMoyri to capture Cheshben. The Lashd of Chazalis, they were Metair Cheshben. After Sichem Melech captured Cheshbon, Klad Yisrael now went to fight against Sichem Melech and took Cheshbon for themselves. And there's a very powerful lesson in what took place over here. Imagine when Sichem Melech won that battle with Moev. When they won that city of Cheshbon, you can imagine there were ticker tape parades. The troops came home heroic. They felt so good about themselves. They've got this beautiful city. Little did they know that that city that they just captured, which they thought was a great victory, a great success for them, was just setting them up for defeat. The whole point of it was that Kaladiusel will take it away from them. So what do you see from this story in the Torah? You see, how good things worked out. You see, in life, you can't make cheshboinus. You have no idea what is good and what is bad. Therefore, Boyu Cheshben, from that city of Cheshben, you can make a calculation. You see, there's only one calculation you can make in life, and that is concerning mitzvahs and averas. How many people have won the lottery, powerful lottery, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars, and they thought they would find happiness? And if you would read statistics, one after the other, their lives turned out miserable. Most of them 
Years later would say, if only I wouldn't have won that money. Life was much better before. They've lost their friends. Many of them lost the money after a couple of years. They lived much worse off than before they won the, before they won the, the money. When Bilal went to curse Klal Yisrael, so the Pasuk tells us, and Malach Hashem stopped him on the way. And Bilam, you can imagine, was very upset about this. A nuisance, this Malach in his way. But Rashi tells us, this was a Malach of Rachamim. A Malach to stop Bilam doing a Chet. But Bilam didn't appreciate that. That he was being helped. Rav Pam would always tell this to Bachrim. A Bach would come to him. They were going out with a girl, dating a girl. Went out a few times, and the girl said no. And this Bocha was telling Rav Pam, he's devastated. He's never going to find a girl like that again. What's going to be now? How could it be such a thing to happen to him? And Rav Pam would tell him this Rashi. It was a Malach of Rachamim. And who knows with you as well. It stopped the Rebbeinish from his Mazavik Zvogim. He knows what's good for you. It's a Malach of Rachamim that has stopped it going through. This is something we see in world events as well, very clearly. That we have no idea what's happening. In 1981, Israel bombed Iraq's nuclear reactor called Tammuz. They were going to build nuclear bombs. And Israel wiped it out, set them back for 20 years. At the time, the minig is that the UN calls a meeting. And somebody gave up to give the drosha against Israel. The person giving the drosha was the Kuwaiti ambassador to the UN a member of the Kuwaiti royal family. And he gave this fiery speech. How dare Israel go and attack our brothers, the Iraqis? What right do they, go to, right do they have to go on sovereign territory? And he gave this speech against Israel, and they voted one after the other to condemn Israel. Ten years later, Saddam Hussein marches the Iraqi troops into Kuwait, took it over, made it the 12th province of Iraq, there's no such country as Kuwait anymore. The royal family fled for their lives, including this Kuwaiti ambassador to the UN. He was a member of the royal family. And fortunately for him, George Bush came and saved the Kuwaitis, sent the American army. Who knows if Iraq would have had nuclear weapons. He might not be, the American might not have been so quick to go and help out over there. They wouldn't have taken those risks. But fortunately for them, Israel had bombed that nuclear reactor. So what that Kuwaiti ambassador was thought was a terrible thing was in fact what actually saved his life much later on. We think we're in control. We understand what's happening. Shloim HaMelech, the wisest of all men, who could strategize, he could plan, he could see ahead. He knew consequences. And he was the one who said, Rabois Machshavois Belevish. People make many plans, but Vatsas Hashem, Hisakum. It's Rabbeinishlam who's in control. Binyamin had ten sons. Don had only one son, Chushim, who was deaf. So try and imagine the people walking down the street on Friday night, and they would walk past Binyamin's home. You can imagine the beautiful Zmiras coming out the house. The divrei you could hear. And then the man keeps walking, you walk down the street, and you pass Don's house. And Nebuchadnezzar is sitting at the table there with his one son who's deaf. 
chances are there wasn't much singing, not much to retire. And people would say, hopefully, Mr. Shem will find a shidduch. What's going to be with his shavit? But now you look a little bit down the road. Pasha's Bamidbo, when it lists the Shvatim, and you see Binyamin had 35,400 descendants. That's from his 10 sons. And Don had 62,000 from his one son, Chushim. Almost double the amount of Binyamin. Rabbis Machshavis Belevish. In 1964, the Pope went to visit Jordan. And he said he would like to visit the old city of Jerusalem. But there was a problem. At that time, it was controlled by Jordan. But they didn't have any decent road going from Amman, the capital, all the way to Yerushalayim. So Israel said, no problem. He can come through Israel. The border is right next to the old city, and he can walk into the old city. The Pope said he doesn't want to step into Israel. Israel's was very upset. They begged. They tried to do everything they could to get the Pope to come. But he was adamant not to come to Israel. In Israel, they're very upset about it. Not for so long. Three years later, 1967, the Six-Day War, and Israel, oh, so Jordan at the time, said, no problem. The Pope wants to go to Jerusalem. We'll solve the problem. And they built a special road, a beautiful wide road, that the Pope could go with his entourage, his limos, and everything he needed to get to Jerusalem. Three years later, a six-day war breaks out, and Israel is attacking Jordan and the Jordanian troops. They needed to send convoys, and they had a beautiful road to drive down. This is the road that they were able to use to wipe out the Jordanian army. The Yiddish expression is, a mensch tracht und Gott lacht. The Reader's Digest version is, if you want to humor God, tell him your plans. In other words, we have no idea what is good and what is bad. I'd like to discuss five different calculations in life. The number one calculation, like the Gemara Brother Basra tells us, is concerning mitzvahs and averis. The value, the schar of doing a mitzvah. What does that mean? The Chasm Seifer discusses a person who has an opportunity to go and dumb with a minion, but in order to do that, he'll have to spend some money. He'll have to take a taxi that'll cost him $5. He doesn't want to spend $5, so he doesn't dumb with a minion. What this man has just done is, he's put a price on the mitzvah. Davening with a minion is worth less than $5. So Allah said, lovely, when he gets his schar for it, all he can claim is maybe $4.99 a minute for every time he davened with a minion. He put a price on the mitzvah. On the other hand, there was a person who was saying Kaddish for his mother. He was in the north of Israel, and he needed a minion for Mincha. And there was nothing around. In the end, he had to take a taxi that took him a couple of hours and cost him $200. When he came back to Rishlein, he went into Rabbi Yashif. And he asked Rabbi Yashif, was it, did it make sense what I did? Was I mechuyiv to do that? Rabbi Yashif said, you weren't mechuyiv. But I'm you. Because you put a price on that mitzvah, a value. You are willing to spend $200, willing to spend hours to be able to say Kaddish. Every Kaddish you said has such value. With this, we can understand a Apostlech in Rus. Boyer says to Rus, 
Yishalim Hashem, Maskur Teich Shleimah. Hashem should pay your schar in full. What does that mean? Does a Kodesh Baruch pay schar that's not full? Of course not. But what it means is, you can lower the price of a mitzvah. I'll give you a marshal for it. And any names that you seem to know that name is purely coincidental. No shaykhs to this word, to true reality at all. So we'll pick a name. Let's say there's somebody called Donald Trump. And let's say he's a real estate mogul, a multimillionaire. Let's say his daughter decides to be Megaya. And now she says, she's Megaya, she wants to marry a younger man and live near Shlaim Shlun in Kail. And her father, Donald, tells her, you marry a Kail younger man, that's it. You're not getting a penny from me, you're out of my will. And she says, Afal She married this Kail younger man and goes to live in your shrine. They are penniless. They get handouts from Kupata Ir. They eat sardines for their Shabbos meal. They live in a machsan. That's the lifestyle they live. Tremendous mysterious nefesh. We see this such a person. Her name was Rus. Rus was a princess. Gave up everything. Lived in poverty in order to be part of Klai Yisrael. Says Boyas to her, you put a price on that mitzvah. How much it's worth the mitzvahs you do, you are going to get full schar for the mitzvahs that you do. These are the cheshboinahs we have to make. Don't worry about everything else. It's not in our hands at all. It's so easy to underestimate the value of the mitzvah. The Chavitz Chaim many times quotes the Vilna Gaon, and he says... Kol rega verega, every moment, she'odom choysem es piv, where person closes his mouth and holds back from speaking Lashnara, is zeichel eragonus, he'll merit a hidden light, shein malach oberi yochein that even a malach cannot imagine. And the Chavetz Chaim points out, it doesn't say the man didn't speak Lashnara, it said, kol rega verega, that he held back. It doesn't say he held back for a year, a month, a day. For every moment a person holds back from speaking Lashnara is to such unbelievable schar. This calculation of mitzvahs naveris leads us to the second aspect of making calculations. It's not just calculating the mitzvah, it's understanding the long-term ramifications of our actions. We have to calculate and realize it's not just the act you're doing. There are consequences to every action. Every time other people see us doing a mitzvah, it affects them, and hopefully they'll imitate what we're doing. I'll give you a little story with myself and then a big story with somebody else. In 1996, my father, I, I, I uh, my father was sitting Shiva for a brother that was Nifta. So he sat Shiva with another surviving brother. He sat Shiva. So I flew to England to Menachmovel, Mekayim Kibadov. Five years later, 2001, my father's Echoin Levrach was Nifta. I was sitting Shiva with my brothers and one of the surviving brother. During that Shiva, my uncle's sons one from Lakewood, one from Yerushalayim, flew into the Shiva to Menachem Oval, their father. 
I jokingly said to them, it's very nice you came for the Shiva. I didn't see you five years ago when your father was sitting Shiva. They smiled and they told me that five years earlier when their father sat Shiva, they called him up and they said to him that they want to come be And he said, don't come now, be on the phone, come for Simchas, it's okay. And so they didn't go. They said for the next six months after that, every time they spoke to him, he mentioned to them how nice it was that I flew in to Menachem Lovell, my father. So they said this time he sat Shiva, they didn't ask him if, he sh- if they should come, they just came. And I felt very good about it. When I went to be Menachem Lovell, my father, I was going as Mechavan for a mitzvah of a mitzvah of, of Menachem Avelim didn't cross my mind that I'm giving lessons to other people to be Menachem Oval. But again, you never know. Five years later, it had an effect on somebody else. It's not surprising that the Chavis of Ovis writes, Af hegia, even if a person reaches to the highest level, in being masakin himself, those chusim of that person who's living a life of perfection doesn't reach the zchuyosov to the zchusim shall there to a person shemachavenes bnei odom the derech atayva who encourage other people to go in the right way shezchuyosov misrabois v'chol yoyim v'chol eis because if you encourage other people to do mitzvahs you can be asleep they're doing mitzvahs. It goes in your account. Your mitzvah is increasing every moment. Even when you're not doing mitzvahs, but the other people are. So the other story was a big story, a little better than mine. Rabbi Israel Tauber, formerly lived in Monsi, a famous inspirational speaker and author, lives in Eretisrael. So he once had, he was invited to speak in England, to be a keynote speaker at a big event. He was at the airport, there was an announcement that the plane has been delayed for six hours. And he knew that means he's missing his speech. Everybody in the airport started getting very angry, going and complaining and screaming and upset. One person said he's missing a simcha, another one a business appointment. Everybody had something which they needed to get to England for. Rabbi Israel Tauber took a safer out of his uh, hand luggage, he sat down, and was learning. There was a professor, wasn't from, and he was watching what was happening. He goes over to Israel Tauber, and he says, you don't seem very bothered. I guess you're just going for pleasure. You're not going to be missing that much by the plane being delayed. Israel Tauber said, not exactly. I'm missing a very important speech that I was going to give. I'm not going to be able to give it now. So he said, so how come you're not upset? You're not bothered. He said, the Rebbeinu is in control. Everything he does is for the best, whether we understand it or not. And this professor was amazed, seeing how Rabbi Israel Tauber behaved. Fifteen years later, Rabbi Israel Tauber is in your shrine. A man goes over to him and says, do you recognize me? He says, no. He says, remember we met at the airport 15 years ago and he tells him what happened? But yes, of course he didn't recognize him. He had a beard and a yarmulke. So he asked him, what happened to you? He said, I'll tell you, when I saw you in the airport there, the serenity, the way you sat there, didn't bother you. There was something so important for you, and you were calm about it. 
I said to myself, wow, I wish I could live a life like that. And I realized it's because of your Yiddishkeit. You're a Muni Yubitochen. And I started taking interest in Yiddishkeit. And a few years later, I became a Baal Tshuva. Rabbi Israel Tauber said to him, all these years I wondered why the Rebbeinishtam took away that opportunity for me to be able to give chizik to hundreds of people. What good could possibly come from that? And now I understand why. It was to bring you back to Yiddishkeit. On the other hand, how careful we have to be that our behavior is exemplary because people can learn from that as well. A story I've once mentioned before about a mother is getting on the bus and she tells her young son, under five is free, over five you have to pay. You just turned five. So if the driver asks how old you are, tell him you're four. Fine, they get on the bus. The bus driver asks the little boy, how old are you? He says, I'm four years old. The bus driver said to him, when will you be five? He said, as soon as I get off this bus. <laughs> I dread to think what lesson that boy learned from his mother. We have to make a cheshben of what a mitzvah is worth and include in your calculations that the mitzvah also has consequences. Let's say a story, give you an example like this. You have a meshulach, Chaim Goldberg. And sorry, meshulach comes to Chaim Goldberg and he tells him, I have a sick son and he needs surgery. The surgery is $50,000. What can you do for me? And he tells him his whole sub-story. This Chaim Goldberg feels very bad for the Mishulach. He says, I don't have $50,000. But his Moisa Nefesh, he writes a check for $1,000. And he said, I'll help you. And this Chaim Goldberg ran around for the next month, fundraising, until he got the whole $50,000 together. He gives it to the Mishulach. The Mishulach thanks him profusely, gets onto a plane, goes to Las Vegas and gambles the money away. It was just a scam. Let's contrast it to another story. There's a man comes to the richest Jew in the world. We'll call him Baruch Gatesburg. And he tells him he has a sick son. He needs $50,000 for surgery. Baruch says, no problem. He sends him to his secretary. The secretary writes a check for $50,000. This boy has the surgery, he recovers, and his life is saved. And if we had to analyze which one gets more schar, you would say it's going to be the first story. Because in the first story, Chaim Goldberg, look at the effort he put in. Lefum Tzara Agra. He deserves to get more schar. While Baruch Gatesburg... It meant nothing to him, the $50,000. Not only that, he didn't even lift his pen to write the check. His secretary did it for him. So you would say, Chaim Goldberg will get more schar. But now, let's imagine that the boy who Baruch saved, he has a son. And that son grows up to become a Godel Adoyer, a Poisek Adoyer. Now we have to recalculate the Cheshben. Because Baruch money, Baruch's money gave Klai Yisrael a poiskador, benefiting the whole of Klai Yisrael. Now Baruch would get Muscha, as every act we do has consequences. The third lesson is, when we evaluate mitzvahs, we think 
it's only goes on our cheshbon if it's successful. Often in life, we put in effort. It doesn't work out. And we feel, wow, that was a waste of time. There's no such thing. The Pasuk tells us about Kolev, Ruach Acheres, boy. He had this special spirit. Doesn't say that about Yeshua. The Mepharshim explained, what was special about Kolev was Vayahas Kolev Esa'om. What happened is the Miraglim came back. Kalal are rebelling. Kolev gets up and he says, you know what else Ben Amram did? And he used his derogatory term. He didn't say Moshe, he said Ben Amram. They all stopped to listen. There was silence. Vayas Kolev Esa'om. He silenced the people. He said, he split the sea for us. He gave us the mon. And when they heard his talking, Toiv about Moshe, talking good about Moshe, they went right back to the rebellion again. So because he silenced them, it's called Ruach Acheres boy. Why? What did he accomplish? Zilch. Zero. Nada. He didn't accomplish anything. They went right back to where they left off. So why is it considered such a great act? Says Rav Moshe Feinstein, that on Shabbos, if there's a choyla, and you can help him, you can be Mechal Shabbos, but it's only going to keep him alive for a short while. You're allowed to be Mechal Shabbos. It's called Chai Shor. Says Rav Moshe, if you're allowed to be Mechal Shabbos for Chai Shor, Chai Shor has so much value. That's the physical guf. Imagine Chai Shor. The Ruchnius Guf, that spiritual part of a person. There's also a concept of Chai Shor. You know what Khalif did? He stopped the whole of Klaisor rebellion for 30 seconds. That has value. Chai Shor. And this is so Nagaya to us. Sometimes you give Chizik to somebody and they, t- they take interest a little bit. And after a while, they go back to their old ways. And you say, waste of time. It wasn't a waste of time. That little bit of time when they change their ways has so much value. Chayeshor. Well, what happens? You invite somebody to eat your home for Shabbos. These people are Machal Shabbos. And you hope they'll be inspired. And they're eating your home. And after you see, all they got out of it was a free meal. They didn't change one iota. You feel, what a waste of time. No, it wasn't. They sat at your meal for two hours. When they were sitting there, they weren't Mechal Shabbos. If they wouldn't have been at your meal, at that very moment, they would be Mechal Shabbos. So you accomplished Chayeshah. Two hours they were keeping Shabbos. There's a story. The Rav Shach was in the hospital. There was a nurse who took tremendous care of him, went out of her way. And when Rav Shach left the hospital, he felt Hakarasa for this nurse. He went over to her and he said, I see that you smoke. And for a half hour he spoke to her, finally convincing her to give up smoking. And when he finished, he told her, I have given you a very valuable gift that you're not going to smoke again. Afterwards, his Talmudim said to him, if you wanted to give her a valuable gift, why didn't you give her some mitzvah, light candles Friday night? Keep kashras. There's other, you could admit so you could give her. That's worth so much more. Big deal, she gave up smoking. Rav Shach says, you don't understand. I saw this nurse. She smokes 20 cigarettes a day. If she gives up smoking, it means every single Shabbos. 
Shabbos. Shabbos 20 times less every Shabbos. Rav Shach understood. Chayishom. The fourth lesson is, when we make cheshboinahs, we make decisions, our personal negias comes into play. It's very difficult to make a proper cheshbon. So Chazal tell us what to do. The Pesach says, Al king therefore, Yoimru HaMoishlim, Boyu cheshbon. Come and make a cheshbon. Rav Destler explains, it should say, Lechu cheshbon, go and make a cheshbon. What does it mean, come and make a cheshbon? So Chazal say, HaMoishlim, or the Moishlim B'Yitzrom. The people who rule over the Yetzirah, the Tzadikim, the Gedoilim. Boyu cheshbon, come to us. You should come to the Gedoilim. They will help you make a cheshbon because they don't have the Negeas. And also, they see things very differently than we do. There's a story of Yonas Naibeshitz. After he got married, he was sitting and learning in a koil. And the, the building where they learned, next door it, they built a church. And this church had bells, church bells. And they would ring a few times a day. And it would very disturb the light learning in the koil. They knew there's nothing they could do about it. The church was very powerful. One night, Rabbi Yonisna Ayvishis Chavrusa, he got so upset, so angry, he broke into the church, climbed up to the belfry, to the bell tower, cut down the bells, and he threw them in the river. The church, they looked into it, they investigated, and they found out who did it. Right away he was arrested. He was put in this prison, and there was going to be a court case. A court case, which chances are he was going to be sentenced to death. The Kehila was up in arms. What could they do? They had no way they could convince the church not to kill him. But with their inquiries, they found out that there's a guard at a certain time in that prison who, for the right amount of money, would let a prisoner escape. But it was a huge amount of money. And they started making a collection. They came to Yoyin Snaibishitz and asked him, he asked, how much do you need? They told Yoyin Snaibishitz. Yoyin Snaibishitz did a very rich, rich shidduch. He was given a huge nadan. He says, no problem. I'll pay all the money. He gave his whole nadan to be able to get his Chavrusa out of jail. So the Rosh Hakol told him, that's fine, you'll give us the money, we'll get him out. Afterwards, we'll make a collection, we'll give you your money back, at least some of your money back. And Rebunison said, no, thank you, it's okay. I want the mitzvah, I'll pay the whole thing. Fine. They gave the guard the money, and he managed to get away. The man got away. Rebunison just now had a technical problem. How does he explain to his wife that till now they were rich, and now they're going to live in poverty for the rest of their lives? He's got to explain that to her. So he realizes as soon as she finds out, she's going to be in shock. So it's better she hears about it, and after she'll calm down a little bit, he can talk to her. So he left town for a couple of days, and meanwhile his wife will hear what happened. He'll come back and he'll tell her the chashivas of a mitzvah. He goes away. 24 hours later, there's a knock at his Rebbitson's door. Standing there is this guard. The guard tells her that I was the one who released this fellow. And now the church are on to me. I don't know if they're going to find out it's me. 
But I can't take any chances. I have to run for my life. I have a lot of money, a lot of jewelry I've made over the years. I don't trust anybody. But I heard what your husband did. That he paid all of that money for somebody else. You must be very special people. I'm going to give you that money, all my money to look after. All my treasures, all my jewels. And if anything ever happens to me, you can keep it. When I come back, you give it to me. And I'll reward you handsomely. She says, fine. She took the money in. A few hours later, she heard he was caught and hanged. And now, she has much more money than before. The next day, Rebunyan Snipes comes home. He's terrified. He walks in and he, she sees him. She sees him, she runs to him. Ah, oh, Baruch Abar, the tzaddik is here. What a tzaddik you are. And you don't have to worry, they're bunched on Peter's back. Kiflik, you're flying. He says, what are you talking about? So, so she explains the whole story, what happened. And instantly, Rebunyan Snipes burst into tears. She said, what's wrong? He said, I did an unbelievable mitzvah. mitzvah. That mitzvah should have been kept, stored for me. And what happened? The Rebbein Shalom instantly paid me off for that mitzvah. The Rebbein Shalom didn't want to keep it in storage for me. He wanted to pay me off. He wasn't happy with me. Why not? Because I did something wrong. And I know what I did wrong. The Kehillah wanted to get involved. Also helped with Pidyon Shweim. And I insisted, I want the mitzvah for myself. It was wrong to do that. The Rebbein was upset. I got schar for the mitzvah, but it's over now. I've been paid off. When I heard this story, what, what amazed me was, because I was thinking to myself, what happens if that would have been me? You know what I would have said? Wow, Rebbein Shalom paid me back. That's beautiful. Like, I'm entitled to it. I deserved it. I wouldn't have been upset about it. But a godl sees things differently. A godl is not just a tamachacham. Of course, that's a requirement. But there has to also be a certain pikras as well. There was a town where there were two candidates for the rov, for the rabbons. And one half of the town wanted one, the other half of the town wanted the other. And there was fighting. And the fighting was getting worse and worse. And this was going on, they couldn't decide for months. The porrots who ruled this town was upset. He says, the people aren't working properly. I've had it. I'm going to decide who the rabbi is going to be. Send both candidates to me. They had no choice. Both candidates come before the porrots. Porrot says, okay, I'm going to test you now. He takes out a siddur. He opens the siddur and tells the first candidate to read. He happened to open up to Ashrei. The first candidate reads. Then says, fine, next candidate. He opens the siddur again, gives it to him to read. He opened up to Yitzhak the Shabbos The reading wasn't so fluent in Yitzhak the Shabbos It doesn't sound like Ashrei. The, the poet says, it's very clear who's better of the two of you. He's got the job, you get out of town. This man was very upset, very broken. And he went to Rebuyin Snaibishitz and he said, it's not fair. This is how it's decided, who should be rough. I can also read Ashrei as well as he can. It's not fair that he's becoming the rov. You've got to get involved. We have to have, it, we have, to have a fair test. Rabbi Yenstein said, no, he deserves to be the rov, not you. You don't deserve to be the rov. He says, why? I can also read Ashrei. So he says, it's very simple. 
the Poritz opened up the Siddur and told you to read. He opened up to you, Yitzhak the Shabbos HaGadol. All you had to do was say Ashrei. You know Ashrei Balper. Why didn't you say Ashrei? The Poritz never would have known the difference. You couldn't think of that at all. You don't have, don't have the pikras to be the rov. A rov has to be pikeach as well. You have to be a pikeach to help people with shalom bias, to help people with chinuch. There's a lot more to it than just the halachas. I once davened in a shul in Yontif, and there were no kainim there. And so we didn't duchen. There was no duchening in the shul. Afterwards, a chavra of mine was in the shul, he was busy running around trying to find a place where he could hear Duchni. And I said to him, So, he didn't hear Duchni. What do you run around for that? Take a safe. I said, no, it's so important to hear Duchni. And that's what I thought until I heard a story of the Briskarov. The Briskarov was davening in Yontif and there was no coin in the minion. And the Briskarov delayed Musaf. And it took a long time until they davened Musaf and they had coin in Somebody asked the Briskarov, Tirucha did Why do you wait for a coin? It's not so important. The Briskarov said, People run around to get brochas. They'll travel to far exotic places. They'll pay a lot of money to get to these places. And here, what does it say by Duchning? The Ani Avarachev. The Rebbeinish is giving a bracha. Isn't it Kadai to wait? You can wait for a Rebbe. You can wait for the Rabbani Shalom to give you a bracha. And once I heard that story, on Sukkot now in a minion, there was no Koyen. I went to another minion, Teh Duchening. The fifth lesson. There's another Cheshben to make before you act. That is, you have to make a Cheshben before you act. Before you do any mitzvah. You have to think a little bit about it. You want to make sure you're doing the mitzvah in the optimum way. We can give one example. The Pasuk says, Ashri Maskil Eldol. Eldol Melech says, Fortunate is a person who deals intelligently with a poor man. Now, why do you have to deal intelligently with a poor man? He doesn't want your seichel. He wants your money, not your brains. So what's Maskil Eldol? So the Pshat is, that you could be sitting at home and somebody comes collecting. What's he collecting for? Almonas and Yasemin. And he shows you videos and he tells you sub stories. And by the time he finishes, you take every penny of stucker, a whole year's worth of stucker, and you give it to him. Now, it could be a really good cause, but that doesn't mean you give him everything. There are halachas in stucker. There's cheshboyes you have to make in stucker. There's Torah, there's Chesed, there's different things. And because your heartstrings are pulling at you, you get emotional, that's not how you make your decision. The Prophet says by Tzedakah, Open up your hand. When your fist is clenched, all your fingers are lined up equally. You open up your hand, your fingers are different le- lengths. When you give Tzedakah, it has to be measured. Different lengths, different amounts, depending on the cause. Also, when giving stocker, a person might feel, how can I give money away? I need the money myself. I'll have less money. So you have to remember the story of a farmer who had never sent a letter before, and he needed to send a letter to a faraway town. So he asked people, what do I do? They told him, you go to the city, there's a post office there. 
and he got an envelope and a stamp, and they explained to him how it works. He was so excited. He comes to the post office, and he takes care of the envelope, the stamp, and he goes there to the counter, and he gives it to them to send the letter. The person behind the counter weighed the letter, and he said, I'm sorry, it's too heavy. He says, so what do I do now? He says, you put another stamp on it. He says, but if I put another stamp on it, it'll be even heavier. So the man tells him, nah, it's the best. You put another stamp on it, that, yes, will be heavier. That's what gives you the right for us to take the letter. Yes, you give stocker, you'll have less money. But that's what gives you the right, that's the stamp, to get you more money. So when you're giving stocker, it's muscle el dol. You have to use your seichel. You have to realize, ase, bishvil shetisashe. You give stocker, you get it back. You won't have less. So boyu cheshben, when it comes to all mitzvahs, you have to make those calculations. How much to give, whom to give. And realize, when giving, in reality, you're really giving yourself. The word venosno is a palindrome. The Gnostic we read forwards and backwards. You give, the Rebbein Shalom sends it right back to you. So let's review the five lessons we learned. The first, there's only one cheshben we can make in life. We have no idea what's happening. Only the Rebbein Shalom knows. And the Rebbein Shalom has his cheshben. There was a girl, Sora Mindy Cook. Her father is the Manal in Neri Yisrael. She's friends. My daughter, she spent a Shabbos by me once. She's blind. And it's amazing what she can accomplish, even though she's blind, Baruch Hashem, she's married now. And when she finished high school, she wanted to go to seminary in Eretz Yisrael. So she applied for Moer Seminary, to Rabbi Greenwald. He received her application, he found out about her, he found out she's blind. And he now had to interview her. But he decided before the interview, there's no way he's taking her. There's no way he wants a girl in his seminary who is a few thousand miles away from her parents and he's going to have that achraiz. He can't take that achraiz. But he'll go through the motions and he'll interview her and then he'll tell her no. He had no choice, he felt. So he gave her the interview. She came to the interview with her braille chumish. So he told her, open up the chumish and I want you to read a random posuk, a Rashi, and a Sifsech HaChomim. Fine. She opened up the Chumash, and she came to the posuk that says, concerning Dostan Naviram, in Shabbos, Shuv, Shuv Mitzrayim. The Rebbein says, go back to Mitzrayim. All the men who wanted to kill you are now dead. So now she goes to Rashi, and Zachariah Greenwald froze. He knew what's coming next. He didn't know why he felt so uncomfortable, his sweating bullets. And she starts reading the Rashi. And Rashi says, they weren't really dead. They lost their money. Oni is Chashukamais. We know Dost Naviram appeared later on in the Torah. So they couldn't be dead. But an Oni is Chashukamais. Fine. Sifsechachon. Says the Sifsei Chachomim, quotes the Gemara. Four people are considered dead. A poor person, a blind person, a childless person, and someone with saras. She reads that. 
And then she starts explaining what it means and why these people are considered dead. He couldn't get over it. His mouth was just wide open. The poise she had, the explanations she gave. And he said, after that, how can I not take her in, a seminar, take her in my seminary? And he did. And Baruch Hashem, she was very successful there. And I'm sure the girls there learned a tremendous amount from her. There's, this is something which, at the time, looked like about the worst thing that could happen. He felt so uncomfortable. But the Rebbeinishon has his Cheshbonis. The second lesson, we learn is be aware of long-term ramifications. The Zingaguman, one friendly with, lives around here in Antinoruvain. His name is Rabbi Tzim Matna. He was sitting Shiva a couple of years ago for his father. I went to the Shiva. And he told me his father was a Balchuva. How did he become a Balchuva? His father was in public school. He lived in Brooklyn. And he saw some Hevra playing basketball, some from boys. So he asked, could he join the game? And he played with them, he enjoyed it. And he started playing with them regularly. And he was so impressed the way they played basketball, the way they played, the way they acted on the court. So he became friendly with one of the boys. He invited him for Shabbos, he went to his house for Shabbos. And one day he comes home and he tells his parents, I also want to go to yeshiva. He saw how these boys behaved. At first his parents weren't so happy about it, but finally they agreed. He went to yeshiva and he became from. Who would have thought, playing basketball like a mensch, you could be carved someday to Yiddishkeit. Look at the consequences of just being a mensch. The third lesson was, if we don't see results, the effort alone has value. You don't always see the results from our actions, but put in effort. That you'll get schar for. The fourth lesson was, ask advice when making calculations. We have personal nagiyas. A god can see things differently. There was a, a couple that once came to Rabbi Zalm in Albach. And they said, their son's bris is tomorrow, and they need him to make a psak about the name. The husband wants to call him Yaakov. His uncle was called Yaakov. He was Nifta recently and wants to name him. The wife says she has no problem naming after his uncle. But in their building, recently, there was a young boy who died, whose name was Yaakov. And she said she feels it's bad muzzle to call him that name. So she doesn't want to use that name. She just doesn't feel comfortable with it. And they'll accept whatever Bishlema Zalman says. Rabbi Shleim Zalman said, you shouldn't call him Yaakov. Not because it's bad muzzle, but what's going to happen is your little Yankovan is going to grow up. He's going to go out and play in the Chotza. And you're going to call out, Yankov, come home for supper. And your neighbors are going to hear you calling out to him. And you know what they're going to be thinking? Our Yankov is never going to come home. That's how a Godel sees things. The sensitivity of a Godel. The fifth lesson was, make sure when you're doing a mitzvah, do it in the optimum way. The Rambam writes, when visiting a chayla, sit by the chayla, umavakish olav rachimim, daven for him, v'yoytzer and go out. There's an extra word there. V'yoytzer and go out. What else should you do? You're not staying in the room, not in the hostel room. You go home afterwards. What's the word v'yoytzer? Pshat is... You want to do the mitzvah correctly, you have to know 
when to leave. Just ask any chayla what they've been through with people visiting them. The yoytze is part of the mitzvah, knowing when to leave the chayla, not to overstay your welcome. I'd like to end with a story of a fellow by the name of Frank Slazak. He grew up with a dream, a dream to become an astronaut. But, like most young boys' dreams, nothing ever came of it. He became a science teacher in his hometown. The years went by and he was always hoping his teaching science, he'd inspire his students, and maybe one of his students will go up into space one day. And then, in 1985, President Reagan announced that he feels he wants a private citizen to go up to space. And it makes sense that the first private citizen to go up to space should be a teacher. We owe so much to teachers. And so now they have to choose a teacher who's going to go up into space. Frank Slazak saw he has the opportunity of his lifetime. Finally, he can live his dream. He sent in an application. He was one of 43,000 people who applied. And the application, you had to fill in the forms. There were 25 pages of forms. Of those 25 pages of forms, 43,000 people had them. 11,000 sent them back. Teachers are used to giving tests. They're not used to taking tests. So a quarter of them, 11,000, sent back. From 11,000, eventually, they cut it down to 100. And finally, that last 100, they cut down, whittled down to 10. Frank Slazek was included in that last 10. And now those 10 were invited to come to NASA. And they would do training and testing, and they would make the decision who is going to be the one of those 10. And this Frank was sure, it's going to be me. All my life I've waited for this. I've got this far, I'm sure it's going to happen. He was there for a week, and then they went back home. A few days later, he gets a letter. The letter says he wasn't chosen. Krista McAuliffe was chosen. And this Frank Slazak suffered depression, loss of confidence, and he was angry as well. Why couldn't it be me? So close, yet so far. The day of the flight came, January 26th, 1986. Frank and his students were watching it as the spaceship Challenger took off. And as he saw it, soar into the sky, Frank Slazak looks at it and says, for one last time, why couldn't that be me in there? And a few seconds later, he got his answer when the spaceship exploded. And Frank realized then, at that moment, he wasn't a loser after all. He still, still had a mission in life to fulfill. Boyul Cheshman. It looked like Christopher McAuliffe had won and this Frank Slazak had lost. But Frank Slazak, the end, was the real winner. Just like when Sichon captured the city of Cheshman, it looked like Sichon had won a great victory. But all of that was just leading up to Klayusol, taken away from them. Klayusol were the winners. Only the Rebbein knows who is the winner and who is the loser. So why worry? Be happy. If we make Cheshboinus concerning Mitzvahs Naveras, 
the Rebbeinu make a cheshbon of how long we've suffered this two thousand years in Golas. And Mithashem, he'll bring the good Shlema, Imheri Yemeno, Amen.